What is cobwebbing and cookie jarring? <laughs> and where will you find the only spaceship-shaped McDonald's? Whoa! <laughs> Answers to those and other out-of-this-world questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, you've heard of ghosting. You've heard of gaslighting. These are modern dating terms. You talked about gaslighting recently. Uh-huh. What are cobwebbing <laughs> and cookie jarring? <laughs> that is so stupid. <laughs> cookie jarring. I'll say cobwebbing is uh, when you're texting and trying to confuse somebody, and cookie jarring is when you're feeding false compliments. Those are good uh, suggestions. I oh, like that. Good. This comes from an article called Breadcrumbed or Ghosted recently in the New York Times, and it's got all these very interesting new dating terms that people are using. Uh-huh. Cobwebbing is purging mementos from previous relationships in an effort to move on, like you're getting rid of the cobwebs. Okay, okay. okay. Just yeah. get rid of the cobwebs. Yeah. Okay. Cookie jarring. Now that, <laughs> I thought that was a funny one. And it's sort of similar to what you were thinking. Cookie jarring is when a person seeks a relationship as a backup plan when the one they actually want isn't available or has rejected them. They need a cookie jar just in case. Oh my goodness, that's cruel. These are just two that come from Breadcrumbed or Ghosted by Gina Chirillis. And she consulted with two dating experts on these. She spoke with Natalie Jones, a California-based psychotherapist, and Shan Boudram, a sex and relationship expert who works for Bumble. Here's one more, and then we'll get some more later. Breadcrumbing, what's that? When you just leave little hints behind where you're going to be? That sounds like that's what it would be, or I got to get back to this person. This uh -huh. is when someone consistently checks in with a romantic prospect and dangles the possibility of a date, but never follows through. Oh, yeah, our kids have had that, yeah. All right, we got more coming up a little later on. Okay. And now to an out-of-this-world McDonald's. Where will you find the only spaceship-shaped? Say that again, Bob. Spaceship-shaped? Space, spaceship-shaped McDonald's. Spaceship-shaped McDonald's. They got McDonald's all over the world. I, I would assume, though, this is like down by Cape Kennedy or something like uh -huh. that, Cape Canaveral uh -huh. in Florida. That's good. Or in Houston, you know, where uh -huh. the, a lot of the space stuff takes place. Uh -huh. And I assume I'm wrong on both counts. You are. Okay. But think it through, though. Where would... That be <laughs> Okay, tell me. Roswell, New Mexico. Okay, uh, of course. Okay. That's uh, ground zero for UFOologists, right? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, supposedly, there was a UFO that crashed there back in 1947, and they're still talking about it and having fun trips. I saw a picture of a bunch of guys going down to Roswell with a blow-up alien in the back seat in a, <laughs> in a convertible. It's very funny. Eating McDonald's food? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, maybe they were. I don't know. I'd love to see that thing, that yes. McDonald's shaped like a spaceship. Yep, and it's Roswell, New Mexico, uh, <laughs> where uh, something crashed there in 1947. That's right. And where the Walker Air Force Base nearby said it was a flying saucer, and then a few days later said, no, it was a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> 
from China. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. It was really they just changed it up in four a few days later. But that's where the uh, the uh, the McDonald's that's in the shape of yes. a UFO it, or a spaceship. Yeah, is. and there are blown up aliens everywhere, and you know everything takes off on the theme there. It's very funny. Well, if you're going to McDonald's, you have to be on a highway. So I'm going to ask you a highway question, Marcia. Okay. What are the safest vehicles on highways in the United States? The safest vehicle Safe. on the highway. Safest vehicle. Well, tanks. Tanks, yes, <laughs> yeah, but, they're, but not, they're not on not normal okay. vehicles. They're normal. They're, you're talking about a normal car. Normal vehicle, yeah. It's not the Hummer, is it? Isn't not anymore? the Hummer. Um, normal vehicle, you see them every day. Uh, is it something we have? Yeah, yeah, something we have. Oh, okay, it's a Subaru. No, 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 no. It's not something we have. It's oh. something everyone has. We have it here in our state, too. Oh, school buses. Oh, really? Yeah, according to Britannica.com, people on buses represent less than 1% of all traffic fatalities in the United States. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, school buses are the safest vehicles on the highway. And if you have kids, they are 70 times more likely to make it to school safely on a bus versus a car. Wow. This is from Britannica.com. So you want your kids safe? Don't drive them. Put them on the bus. That's right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I thought maybe school bus accidents, you're trapped on a bus and all of that. But no, if you're on a school bus, you are the safest of anyone on the highway. Okay. Bob, what is the cardiocentric hypothesis? Well, I talk about that all the time. <laughs> uh, the cardiocentric hypothesis is yeah. this is that the heart is the center of all reasoning or something like that. The old thoughts that the heart was the center of your body, not your brain. Exactly right. Ah. It's an ancient belief that the heart was the center of your thought, body movement, and soul. It was a belief passed down from the Egyptians to the ancient Greeks. Hence the term when we say, you know something by heart. It means your heart memorized. It. Oh, that's where the expression uh -huh. comes from. Uh -huh. I know it by heart. I'll be darned. Uh -huh. Well, it's very good. Uh -huh. Okay, I got more of these fun dating terms. First, I have a question for you. How far back do rings go back? Wedding rings. How Wedding far back rings? do they go? You, you mentioned something just a moment ago related to this. I did? Yeah. What culture is credited with starting wedding rings? I'll say Egyptians. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They believe there was a vena amoris, the Latin for vein of love in the left hand's fourth finger. They thought that that, <laughs> oh. vein, that vein had a direct route to the heart. Oh, that's cool. Back to your heart thing. So, and we still do it today? Yeah. I love it. And look at I got mine on my finger. There you do. My little band of gold. Okay, now, but when you were dating, Marsh, like when you were dating me, were you ever involved in cuffing or cyber flashing? I, I doubt it. <laughs> what is cuffing in dating, modern dating terms? Uh, I, I don't know. Cuffing is getting tied down to one partner, usually during the colder months. I got cuffed. <laughs> we're cuffed. We're cuffed together. Or, or the COVID months, yeah. Okay, what's cyber flashing? We've learned Gosh. about cookie jarring, cobwebbing, bread crumbing, and cuffing, now cyber flashing. Is that when you put your naked picture up for three seconds and take it down? Yes, basically that's it. It's sending unwanted sexual images to another person through digital means, such as a dating app or a social media platform. But it also can be done via text. But that's what cyber flashing is. Huh. All right. Now, we've all heard of red flags. Like, oh, that's a red flag. Yes. What are the three flag colors? Green, red, and beige. What do they stand for? What do they stand for? Red flag is, uh, you're obviously a nutcase by... Uh, 
your behavior. Negative, something negative, yeah. potentially harmful traits a person black, has. Black flag, did you say? No, 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 that's, a, that's an insecticide. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <Is it? laughs> so there are three flags. People say, oh, that's a green flag. That's a green a, flag, I don't know, how was that? Green yeah. flags are positive. Positive, okay. uh, compatible traits. Oh, a lot of green flags there. Oh, really? He's okay. a decent guy. Red uh, flags, ooh, I yeah. don't know. And then what are beige flags? He's a, he, he, notice I say he, he's kind of a nothing burger. Yeah. yeah. People displaying beige flags are just kind of dull and boring yeah. and lack much effort in yeah. dating. Yeah. You never want to be beige. Kind of a beige flag, Bob. Yeah, Sorry. That's, that's sad. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Okay. <laughs> what tree predated the dinosaurs and is still around? Ooh, so this is a tree that goes way, way back. Uh-huh. So we're not, I assume this is not the uh, redwoods or the sequoias, but Correct. something before those. Before that. Is it like the cypress tree? No. This is a tree that's still around. And pretty close to us. Really? Okay, what is it? It's, out, it's outside our living room. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is it you rake up every the big, ugly wall. one. Oh, really, walnuts? No. Oh. No, it's the ginkgo. Oh, no kidding. Yes. So right. they think ginkgo trees go back well, to they the- They know so. Wow. Uh, there is no tree on earth like the ginkgo bilboa. It has no living relatives. It's the only one. Ancestors of the ginkgos now filling our parks and city streets and uh, next to our house lived on earth 270 million years ago. Oh, my goodness. 18 million years before dinosaurs. The, Jeez. The ginkgo is the oldest living tree species in the world and it's been nicknamed the living fossil. It can even survive from a stump. In 2013, the National Park Service accidentally cut down a historic ginkgo tree in Washington, D.C. Oh, dear. But eight months later, it started sprouting leaves. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. They cut, the stump started sprouting yeah. leaves, so yep. you can't kill them. Not easily. Wow. And they're cool to look at. What did you call that something? The living fossil? Is that yeah. what you said? Uh-huh. We had a boss we called him that <laughs> once. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, dear. All right, let's talk about love again here. All um, right. What country is where Valentine's Day is the most popular day to get married? Is it in Europe? No. There are a lot of people there. They celebrate wedding anniversaries on Valentine's Day. And okay. for, for a reason. Why is the reason? I'll just pick a country. I'll say, it's not in Europe, you say. No, it's not in Europe. Okay, then I'll say Australia. Well, you're, you're in that. New Zealand. You're in the right part of the world. Fiji. No. <laughs> you just keep crawling up there. Okay, it's the Philippines. February 14th is the most popular wedding anniversary because each year local governments hold mass weddings on Valentine's Day where couples can get married for free. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there's a positive well, that's, incentive. That's why there's a lot of people getting married on Valentine's Day and all the wedding anniversaries. All right, more of these fun dating terms, Marsh. Um, you know <laughs> gaslighting. We talk about that, the yeah, manipulating yeah. somebody yes. into making them doubt themselves. Is it themselves. getting dark in here, Bob? Hello. <laughs> what is love bombing? Love bombing. Love uh, I don't bombing. Know, I don't know. You uh, drop someone a uh, shout out on a uh, dating site and then don't tell them who you are? Think of carpet bombing during a war when they just go overboard. Uh -huh. Love bombing is lavishing a new romantic partner with grand gestures oh. and constant contact while keeping them isolated from friends and family to oh. gain control of the relationship. Oh, well, that is something else. Yeah, They're not all red flags, but they can be red flags. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my. He's really love it's, bombing it's, me now, or she's love bombing it's me. It's manipulation. It's, uh, it's actually a form of mental uh, control. Yes, it is. All right, and one more here. Okay. Orbiting. 
that's a dating term so that's used these you're days. You're always looking around for somebody to date. You're circling one particular guy. That's the idea. When somebody has cut off communication or has made it clear they're not interested in pursuing a relationship, yet they continue to interact with the person She's, on social uh, media, yeah. usually by giving you likes. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's still orbiting me. Yeah, yeah. She's orbiting me. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay, Bob. Louisiana doesn't have a glass recycling program. Okay. Surprise, surprise. So a couple of enterprising wine-drinking Tulane students came up with a glass recycling project called Glass Half Full. Glass Half Full, okay. What was their unique solution? There was a certain process. Okay. All right. So usually you have a receptacle or a place where you drop stuff off. Yeah, well, they actually come to you. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, What they're doing here, Bob, is killing two birds with one stone. Since the 1930s, Louisiana has lost about a third of its wetlands to rising seas and other factors. So these two guys, Max Deitz and Franzika Troutman, found a way to pulverize glass back to its original form, sand. Oh. And they are replenishing beaches and filling sandbags, among other things, to fortify levees everywhere around in Louisiana. Can you believe that? Well, that's a pretty cool thing. Take it back to its original form. So far, they have diverted over 3 million pounds of glass from landfills. And they got crowdfunding to get this project going. And now they have trucks that come to your home and pick up your empty recyclables and turn it back into sand. What a great thing. What a great idea. Yeah. And they're using that sand to... Put in the beaches and to fortify the levees. Wow. That's uh, a cool thing. It is. Very clever. And it all started because they had too many wine bottles in their dorm. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing the things that can come from something simple like that. These should go to use somehow. All right, let's take a break now. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. All right, I have a history question for you. Mm -hmm. What was unusual about the VIP recovery room for Ronald Reagan after the assassination attempt in 1981? What was the what? What was unusual about the VIP suite? Now, oh, this at was, the hospital? Yes, at George Washington University Hospital. What was unusual? It had uh, no windows and full of, uh, well, I don't know. Well, the hospital had no VIP room. (laughs) (laughs) Now, President Reagan, just to recap, because people may not remember how close he came to death. He was nearly killed on March 30th, 1981. He was rushed to George Washington University Hospital, where surgeons discovered his left lung had collapsed. He'd lost more than half of his blood and a bullet had reached within an inch of his heart and his aorta. Oh, Lord. So after saving his life, doctors decided not to move him. He'd need to recover in the hospital. No problem. The press was told they'd be moving him to the VIP suite. <laughs> problem was, the hospital didn't have any. Oh, God. So administrators, they identified an intensive care unit on the fourth floor. They isolated an entire hall with eight rooms. And although the hallway walls were glass, just like any ICU, the maintenance crews were dispatched to repaint the rooms, install Persian-style carpets, and mount artwork. And for the next two weeks, those eight rooms were the working White House. Oh, okay. There was a room at the end of the hall that was for the president, rooms for his wife, White House staff, and personal physician. During the day, he'd meet with advisors and make decisions and greet VIP visitors for only five minutes each. Yeah, yeah. 
people there that were young staffers always coming in and saying, I'm sorry, your time's up. You yeah. know, and Sometimes they had to turn the VIPs away because too many people came in. Yeah. That was a five-beller in the newsroom when it came over the wire Yeah, when he got shot. I remember that vividly. Then, of course, he and Nancy would be out in the hall as he struggled to walk. Well, anyway, 12 days later, he walked out of the hospital and the VIP suite, it had served its purpose. And in the words of the New York Times, like so much in the nation's capital, its status was short-lived. After the president was discharged, the rooms were stripped away, restored to their bare-bones essentials, and the VIP suite was no more. Okay. So they made it up as they went along. Good for them. All right. What percent of Americans say they do or would consider using their horoscope for financial advice. Oh, dear. Give me a percentage. Oh, my. I'm sure it's probably more than I want it to be. I'll say 40%. I'll say 50%. Oh, my God. No, it's not that bad. Oh, thank God. Yeah, but it's not good. 32% of Americans say they followed their horoscope for money advice or would consider it. That's according to the latest Lending Tree survey of more than 1,500 U.S. consumers. Aries are the least likely to have a budget. Oh, really? Yeah. The sign most likely to take risks are Virgos. That's, oh, no, that's me. You. 13% <laughs> of you are willing to take big risks. Oh, that's not bad. Only 13% of and us. And 4% of Sagittarius. They're the least likely to take risks. Mm. Okay, back to dating terms, Marsh. All okay. right, got a few more here. What's uh, When you say somebody's got riz, what does that mean? She's got riz. Razzle-dazzle? Charisma. Ah, that's good. I like that. You yeah. got Riz. You got Riz. That means somebody's ability to flirt or attract uh-huh. a potential mate. All right, then there's two more here. What is a soft launching? <laughs> okay, we're going to just do a soft launching of my relationship. <laughs> Meeting for coffee. It's actually how you announce the relationship. Oh, that's posting a discreet video or photo of your new partner on social media to announce your relationship while hiding their identity. Like maybe just showing hands, holding your hands or something like that. Oh, very nice. It's called a soft launching. (laughs) And finally, I'm asking you this question, Marcia. What is a situationship? A situationship. As opposed to a... Where did you find all this stuff? (laughs) In the New York Times. It was a great article. Okay. Situationship as opposed to a relationship. What is a situationship? Well, I assume that it uh, is uh, a relationship based around a particular situation such as uh, COVID. Actually, it's a relationship where neither side really knows what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's us, Bob. A romantic or sexual relationship in which both partners do not communicate clearly to define their status. Unlike friends with benefits, neither party in a situationship is really certain of what the other is to them. (laughs) He's my... Yeah, you know. I don't know. He's my... She's my... Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. in a situation shift. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's that's real cap out there, baby. Oh, okay. I've got two showbiz questions. Okay. Why is a theater ticket booth called the box office? Oh God, I used to know this. Why is it called the box did. office? Um, that's where they kept the box with the money, wasn't that it? The box uh, office is that, where the money went? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, they keep the but money there for the ticket sales. In early Elizabethan times, theaters admitted the general public into the ground level pit without oh. charge. Okay. But they would pass the plate like they do in church to put get, money in. Oh, I see. And the better your seat was in the pit, the more you had to pay. But if you were in the upper crust, wealthy patrons, 
they bought balcony boxes for the season. And tickets were conveniently held at the front door for them when they walked in. Oh, at the box office. Office, yeah. <laughs> oh, no kidding. So it was for the better seats, the people who the held bo- the better seats. Yeah, box seats, and they got them when they walked in through the door, and that became the box the office. The box office. And here's the other term. Where does winging it come from? You know, like you you don't really know what you're doing, and yeah. you're just Just when winging it. Yeah. I always thought that came from aviation or something. Yeah, so did I. But this is good. This is also show business. The term derives from the unprepared stage actor standing in the wings and cramming desperately before hearing his cue. Oh, he's winging it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just in there reading his lines, trying to cram for uh, getting on stage. Oh, isn't that funny? Uh So that's what they were doing at the last minute. They're cramming their lines. Oh, my goodness. It's so like an exam. It's so funny. (laughs) Doesn't know what he's doing. He's just winging it. All right. After talking about situationships, relationships, and all those funny dating terms, now let's get down to some serious questions. What holiday commemorates the murder of a saint? There's a holiday that commemorates the murder murder of of a a saint. saint. Is it Valentine's Day? Yes, it is. It commemorates the murder of one of two martyred Christians, either a priest or a physician in Rome or a bishop in Italy, secretly marrying couples to spare the husbands from war. And supposedly one of these men went to prison and uh, he fell in love with the jailer's daughter. And the night before his execution, he wrote her a farewell message, signing it off with your Valentine. Oh, I remember that story. Okay, now why did a pope make Valentine's Day a holiday? Um, uh, it replaced something else. Oh, something what were full the, of debauchery. Yes, what were the Christians <laughs> always replacing what other civilization? The Roman? Yes, yes. R- Roman orgies and stuff? Yes, this is a, another Roman holiday, Lupercalia or Lupercalia. <laughs> And Pope Galatius I needed a convenient holiday to replace that Roman festival because that took place in mid-February and it was known for its excessive merriment is the way it described. <laughs> That's and it, what we have here, isn't and, it, Bob? And distinctive fertility rituals, oh. such as the lashing of women by men using the hides of sacrificed animals. Oh, fun. So instead... Let's commemorate Valentine's. <laughs> give, her, give her a card instead of the lash. I think that's, I think that's lovely. Oh. Okay. How big of a paycheck did Rihanna just get for her Super Bowl performance? Oh, I know the answer to this. What is Nothing. It? That's right. Because you don't get paid for that thing. Yeah, you don't. None of them do. No. But what is their reward? It is all the publicity yeah. and the free. You know, you yeah. have millions of people watching 100 you. million viewers to wow. be tuned in to the last year's game. 100 million people watched. And I think this year was more. That's Uh, amazing. When Justin Timberlake performed in 2018, his music sales rose 534% that same day. Oh, my goodness. Lady Gaga, sales of her digital catalog spiked 1,000% following her 2017 performance. Jeez. But the people in and around that whole uh, grand production, they get paid and... uh, Yeah, usually it costs the performer. They have to pay for this. They pay for the crew and all of that. No, NFL does. Really? Yeah. The NFL pays for the crew that comes out and builds the stage? Yeah, like when Jennifer Lopez performed there, the NFL spent approximately $13 million, and that was for the paychecks of the staffers involved in the production and the complicated technical elements and collapsible 38-part stage. Good Lord. And all the equipment needed to put this on. So the performer doesn't have to pay for anything. NFL pays for that, but they don't pay you. 
Jeez. Okay. Well, it's obviously worth it to the entertainer. I would say. Yeah. Okay, Marcia, a traveltrivia.com question. Our, <laughs> you love that site. I do love it. And it's a geographic question, and you love that, don't you? Oh, I do. You love this. <laughs> Let's say you take the city of New York on a map, and you do a straight line across the ocean due east. Uh-huh. What major European capital lies due east of New York City? Now, I'll give you some choices. Mm-hmm. Bucharest, Romania. Mm-hmm. Copenhagen, Denmark, mm-hmm. way up there, mm-hmm. Madrid, Spain, mm-hmm. or Berlin, Germany? Copenhagen. That's what I would have thought. North, right? The yeah. northern latitudes. Actually, yeah. it's the most southern of those cities. Really? Italy? Madrid, Spain. Spain, I mean, yeah. Madrid, oh. Spain. You head due east from New York City and you end up that in Madrid. That doesn't seem logical. Well, both cities lie at about 40 degrees latitude. Oh, darn. And then um, the way they wrote this on TravelTrivia.com, if you're wondering where the sunny beaches are in New York, (laughs) keep in mind there are a lot of other factors that impact climate, including the jet stream that carries warm water from the Caribbean to Europe. Other cities on that latitude line are Naples and Sorrento in Italy. They're both on roughly the same 40-degree line. So you were right. Your instinct there was to say Italy Uh instead of Spain. Okay. Well, that makes sense. These are all unofficial names for one specific place. Okay. What is it? Paradise Ranch, Watertown, Dreamland Resort, Red Square, The Box, and The Ranch. Red Square? Well, that's Russia. That's Moscow. But I don't think those other terms are for that. No, no. It's Area 51. That's the different names people call it. Oh, no kidding. Including... uh, military, about 120 miles northwest of Las Vegas, somewhere between mile markers 20 and 30, along Nevada's extraterrestrial highway. Oh, they have an extraterrestrial highway <laughs> It's in actually Highway 375, but they call it that. Wow. There lies an unmarked dirt road. And although no buildings are visible from the asphalt, the track leads to Groom Lake or Homey Airport, as it's called on civilian aviation maps. (laughs) Homey Airport. With with all of the high-tech flights out of Area 51, including more than 2,850 takeoffs by the aircraft A-12, reports of unidentifiable flying objects skyrocketed. The government formally acknowledged the existence of Area 51 for the first time in 2013. Oh, my God, it took that long. Yes. Going back to Roswell, people believe that they took the bodies of their creatures they found on that spaceship to Area 51 to study. Right. And that, that's part of the connection there. So Area 51 is still an active base, but the purpose it has served since the 1970s is still a top-secret mystery. Hmm. It will be a few more decades, at least until current work is declassified and available to the public. That's according to National Geographic. Well, I I believe them. Okay, I'll end up with a couple of quotes, Bob. Okay. One from our own good old Packer coach, Vince Lombardi. Mm -hmm. He said, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a good one. It is. And then from that ever-wise sage, Bart Simpson, who said... Aren't we forgetting the true meaning of Christmas? You know, the birth of Santa. (laughs) (laughs) So long, so wrong. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed our half hour of fun and merriment here on The Off-Ramp. We want to invite you, if you have any questions or things you'd like to contribute, you can do so by going to our website, theofframp.show, and scrolling all the way down to contact us. There's a box there you can leave us information. Okay. 
I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Thanks for joining us today on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.